Woodsy. Taste superior. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm Mike Woods, and you're listening to Life in the Peloton, bitches. This is a new concept. I'm going to call it my team, my Jiro. And the idea is to interview or to get every one of my teammates from my team at the moment, EF Education First Drapak. They're on the Cannondale. Powered by Cannondale. And you've got a little sneak peek to who our guest is today. Um, and we're going to just talk through at different moments of the Jiro. Um, at different points where we're at and also just find out about each of the teammates as well. And first today, I thought, I don't know how I haven't got you on here, but one of my biggest fan bases from Canada and I think one of the most interesting guys going around the peloton at the moment, Mike Woods, welcome to the podcast. Mitch, thanks for having me, man. Um, Big compliment too. Thanks, man. (laughs) You are. You are like, there's constant stuff that I'm talking to you about. And we're just out on the road or just at dinner. And I'm like, God, this would be a good podcast. Um, so I'm happy to have you on here. Um, just to give everyone a little bit of background on Woodsy. He's pretty new to the game, but pretty quickly up to speed. Only three years in the World Tour. And already last year, finishing seventh in the Vuelta in his second Grand Tour appearance. Let alone just recently, a couple of weeks ago, finishing second in Liège, based on Liège, which is takes riders their whole career to get on that podium and he's just like you know what I guess I'll just attack and go for it and that's pretty much your attitude I've seen watching you from afar and getting to know you this year your attitude is like I don't know let's just give it a shot and um, most often than not it comes off well so that's Woodsy's background from my perspective Um, and before before we get in actually no you know what Let's go straight into it. And we'll talk about the Giro stuff at the end. Perfect. I want to know about you. And I think it's a really interesting story. And I I started talking about it in Israel the other day, but I cut you off because I knew we weren't going to have enough time. But you've got a really interesting story. And I I did a little bit of research and we started talking about ice hockey the other day. And um, I sort of jokingly started talking about the maple leaves. And you just sort of touched on like, yeah, I used to do a bit of, you know, play a bit of ice hockey. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that at what level you're at, you know, like actually wanting to be a Maple Leafs player. I oh, did. I loved it. So hockey, hockey was my be all end all. When I was, um, my parents tell me, this may not be true, but my parents, because you know how gullible I am, but very, my, very but, gullible. But my, my parents told me that my first word was hockey. My dad bought me skates before I was before I was born. He didn't know I was gonna be a boy, but he bought me skates before I was born. He's Mini like, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, he's gonna be a boy. And he's gonna play hockey. <laughs> was it one of those situations where I had this a little bit with my father, and I I love rugby, but my dad was a massive rugby league fan, 
and rugby fan and he got me into rugby and was under eights and I played and I loved it but I got to a point where I felt like I was doing it because he wanted me to do it and not because I wanted to do it anymore and that's when I found cycling was that like that for you for hockey I think that's pretty accurate I mean my dad didn't have the dad that I had like I mean his his dad I I, I never met him he passed away before I was born but um like my dad was a poor farmer, like didn't had a tough background and didn't have parents that supported him. Like he supported me and my mom supported me. So they like, I think one of my dad's goals, cause he loved hockey was to maybe have, give me the opportunity that he didn't have. And so that was hockey. Yeah. And Maybe he, he, like he coached and he got, he loved it. And like, I, I, I never felt like I was doing it because of him, but there was a point certainly where he loved what I was doing more, more than, than I, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was mainly a product of me just not being as good as I wanted to be at it. I put a lot of pressure on myself. Like hockey, hockey is a game where you have to be super like effortless and you have to like, like you can't there we have a really good uh line in hockey called don't grip the don't grip the stick to stick too tight hmm. and because if you're gripping the stick too tight you're, you're trying tense, to you're you? tense and so like if you receive a pass it just bounces off the stick yeah right whereas if you're like nice and supple it just comes on onto the blade of the the stick and it's like real smooth right so the big thing is to is to be smooth and relaxed and i wanted it too bad and yeah. so i'd go on the ice and I'd want it so bad and it, it resulted in me just fucking up all the time. But that want and that desire actually really transferred over well to running when I got into running and athletics. Like, uh, when you want, like in running, unlike hockey, the harder you try, just the better you get. And, and particularly at the, at the earlier ranks, but then obviously that changes as you get better. But yeah, it, it transferred over well initially. And that was, that was the next phase I was going to talk to you about. Middle distance runner, 3,000 metres, you got the Canadian record. Yeah. And then the 1,500, you got the Pan Am gold as well. Yeah. So, like, pretty serious runner. It wasn't just like you were trotting around. You were, like, the big leagues. And then you went off and got drafted by a college in the US, was it? Yeah. So, the way universities work, universities, it's one thing that I feel like is actually missing in cycling. Um in athletics, there's less of a U23 category, but in running, uh, there's this amazing university system in the NCAA where you can get your whole schooling paid for. Um, I had a full school. I got a full scholarship at the University of Michigan, and they paid for my books, they paid for my tuition, they paid for accommodation, every, accommodation, food, frat house. Base like I lived with a bunch of track guys. It was effectively a frat house. What's and, it? Yeah, and like. When you live, did you have like one of those like mu beta delta or like no 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 no? But <laughs> like there there was like you know the tri delta so like down the down the road and they're like, yeah for sure. <laughs> and I effectively lived in a frat house because it was just all track guys except we didn't pay to be there whereas a frat house would pay to be there. Oh okay. But like living there, like unless you've gone to school in the states, you don't really realize like you watch the movies and you're like that that's not real like that doesn't actually happen but like every like 90 1990s like early 2000s crap movie with like 
you know, the guy Stifler or whatever. What the, about like the all those movies are real? Like that's that was my college like experience. Old school. Yeah. yeah, that was my college experience. Oh, dude, you do these crazy road trips and like you get wasted and like crazy things happen and like. Yeah, it's 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 wonderful, man. Is it? Yeah, yeah, and the, the, like our football games were insane. The big, I went to Michigan, and the big house seats one hundred and twelve, hundred thirteen thousand people, and it sold out every single game since nineteen eighty five. So it's just crazy. It's mad, it's madness. But the best part about um, University of Michigan, well, about this the the university system in the states is it creates this kind of U twenty three program, and everyone's competing, but they're also getting an education. Mm. And I think that's like one piece that really we talked about this uh, on our ride a few days ago was how there's this feeling when you're in cycling that you have to forego university in order to be you have to miss university in order to be a great cyclist yeah, yeah. And, and that's not the case but um, it is much more difficult because you are putting four years off of your life in terms of development as a rider um, instead of you know, in order to pursue an, an academic degree. However, that pursuit, in my mind, is a way more secure pursuit and a way safer, a way smarter thing to do than, you know, risking it all for... Yeah, when we were discussing it, it's a more fulfilling pursuit because you feel like if you do accomplish the dream and get your degree and then also become a professional, you feel like you've got a whole rounded approach to this world. Yeah. That's what you and I agree on, you know, not that everyone does. And it takes a lot of pressure off of you yeah. too. Exactly. You have a bit of a, it's like a, yeah, you have a fallback. Yeah. There's exactly. no security in this sport. Shit, no. And it's tough sometimes when, like there's some, like there, there's so many great guys in the Peloton, but some times you're talking to a guy and you're like, what are you going to do after? Well, look at, look at you. Like, I'm not saying that, I know you want to aspire to be a Maple Leafs player, but that's one sport that fell through early on. Then running, you had the injury, which was, what was your injury? I had a navicular stretch fracture, um, basically a stretch fracture in my left foot. And that ended your running career? Yeah. Which then, you know, potentially if you put things aside wholeheartedly for your running and didn't have that education there too, you would have been up shit creek. Yeah, I actually was up Shirt Creek, kind of like. <laughs> yeah, right. I was so invested in running. Like, I went to school, I, I got a degree in literature. It was awesome. But I mean, like, for the first three years I was there, I just focused on eligibility. Like, I was getting a degree in eligibility. Like, I just was taking all the fluff courses. I took, like, women's studies, climate and mankind, I took planets, moons, <laughs> took. Uh, yeah, but all the interesting stuff. I took all these interesting classes yeah. that no way apply to the real world. Yeah. So, and I was so focused on running that my whole life was running. And then when I started getting these injuries and started failing at running, I felt like I was a worse human being because I was not performing well. Because everything that mm-hmm. I, I, everything in my life was running. Mm. And that's why it was great that I had all these injuries in retrospect. Um, and my career ended because it was a good life lesson that running wasn't the be all end all. Mm. But, um, yeah, initially I think that's also one of the reasons why when I look at some of these guys in the Peloton, I see my, a lot of my, my younger self in them. You know, this guy was so invested in running with no other plans outside of it. Uh, I mean, it's great to be where you are and focus on what you're doing and not always living somewhere else like in your mind. But, uh, I do think it's important to, to, to be a well-rounded person now. Yeah, right. 
That's right. also age, though. So then, fast forwarding now. So you had this, you had the injury, and this is what I find amazing. You took up cycling then as a as a rehabilitation. Yeah. And I only caught a little bit of this story, but it was one of your friends that said we were training with them and said, "Should we go out and do a race? How did it happen?" Yeah, it was basically like that. Um, my dad got into cycling right. How old were you, sorry, at that point? I was around, um, this was around 22, 23. I was cross, just over the summer when I was home I'm in Ottawa, Canada, I would uh, I would just use it as a cross-training tool um, when I was injured. And my dad just got into cycling at that time too. And so I started borrowing his bike and he got so sick of me borrowing his bike that he bought me a Trek, it was a Trek, I don't even know what it was. It was, a tri- no, yeah. it was an aluminum frame, <laughs> Tiger components, triple crank set. <laughs> I thought it was amazing. I thought it was a great bike. Uh, the first group ride I went on, someone told me it was a piece of shit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got this great. Uh, I got this great bike that I thought, and uh, yeah, I started riding it just just to stay fit and just go try and average thirty k an hour, you know, for as long as I could. And then when you wouldn't need a club race. Yeah, well, so that, that that was for a couple of years. Like I was, I was always trying to come back and running, even though I was injured. I kept on coming back, trying to come back, and I kept on breaking my foot afterwards. And um, yeah, I kept on breaking my foot afterwards, and so I kept on trying to, like, I kept on using the bike in order to to just stay fit. And then about the time I was twenty four, twenty five. Um, were you wait? Just interrupt. Were you interested in road cycling, like? Were you watching the pros? Were you watching the Tour de France? Those sort of things? Just the Tour. Oh, yeah. Every summer, I'd, I'd, I'd watch the Tour. Were you, did you respect it? Were you like, oh, they're sick, those guys? Or were you like, oh, yeah, it's pretty cool? I didn't respect it. Yeah. I thought okay. it was sick. Yeah. I had no concept of how hard it was. Yeah. I thought it was just like running. I thought like... And that, that's one of the reasons why I got into it so heavily initially. Once my friend convinced me to... So I, my friend started convincing me to come out for group rides and races. I thought, well... I was one of the best juniors in the world at running. I should be one of the best cyclists in the world. Mm. Like I just thought the two would completely correlate. And it was only through that ignorance of how hard this sport is that I fully invested myself in it. Mm. Because if you'd known... Had I known what I know now, like (laughs) had I known like, you know, yesterday, for example, all the intricacies of what unfolded in order for us to get Sasha into a place to sprint well. I, I like had I known how hard that is now, I would not have tried this <laughs> yeah. at all. It just keeps unraveling itself, doesn't it? Every time you think that you're like, I've got a hold on this sport. And like even oh, me dude. now, I'm like, you know what? I can still do that better. There is a better way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's also age though too. Like yeah. you know, I think a lot of guys when they first come into the sport uh, think they know everything and it's only as they get older they start realizing they don't. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. But for me, I've always been the lowest guy in the totem pole from a, a, a race experience perspective. So I always feel like I've got so much to learn. But on that same note, we're drifting off the point, but that's something that I really like about you because as I get older in the sport, there becomes more mental barriers and mental walls because I've tried something before and it didn't work and so... Now I don't bother trying it anymore because I'm like, I know I can't do that. You know, I can't, 
jump across to that break when it's at one minute because yeah. last time I tried that, like you get these layers that you yeah. protect yourself with. And one thing I see with, I remember watching you last year in the Vuelta and it was just like this no fear attack at the race. Just like if I blow up, I blow up. And that's how we should always race, but we don't always race like that. It might seem like that, but do you know who inspired that? Because I used to not race as much like that as uh, in, in the past is Pierre. Yeah. Because I did the Giro last year and it was my first Giro and you, I spent the entire Giro holding stu- holding back because I, I was going into the unknown. This yeah. was like, like I'd never That was it. your first Giro. It was my first Grand, Grand Tour. Tour. Yeah. I'd never gone longer than one week. And I've done, I did Qinghai Lake, which was 13 days, but like not the same scale at all. And I was always kind of holding something in reserve afraid of the future and then i watched pierre every single day of the last week trying in the break it's pierre roland yeah yeah and would just smash himself and attack until like like he would not think of the future he was just existing in that moment yeah and like it was like a light bulb went off for me (laughs) like you know you're if you're always like you can't and i think the one of the keys to my success as a rider now is um, when I'm going really well, I, I, I don't think of the future. I just try and exist where I am. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're always thinking about what's ahead, when I, what's the next day, it's just going to create that barrier that you're talking about. Yeah. And so, that's, that's, that's an amazing way to race. That's, it's also a fun way to race. It is. Because you spend the other thing that if you're always thinking in the future, you're always kind of thinking like a lot of racing often because it, there's so many mundane, boring parts of racing. You're just trying to exist. You're not. You're. You're wishing you were somewhere else. Like it's a cold day in Catalonia or in the classics, and like it's shit weather, and you feel like crap, and you're just like wishing you weren't there. Hmm. And so it's like the one of the again, like one of the reasons when I'm going well is I, I'm is when I'm I, I'm in that moment, and I actually like think, well, why do I not want to be here? And I realized, well, this is actually pretty fun regardless of the circumstances. Like, yeah. I'm still riding my bike. This is still a game. You know, it's... It, and it's only for... How this is something I love when I talk to Adam. Yeah. He goes, at the end of the day, in four hours' time, I'm going to be in my bed in my hotel. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, like, you go, yeah, he ain't that bad. No. That's true. But, but you have you to always, catch yourself. It's so easy. And it's not like I've mastered this at all. Yeah. Like... So you I have to remind yourself of it. Dude, I was so bad at the start of the season. And there's so many instances where I wished I wasn't where I was. Hmm. Often, I think with fitness, you get a lot more clarity. Yeah. Um, all right. So back to what we were talking about. And this is what I love to talk about is that from then, it was such a quick run through until then you were in the, in the world tour, which doesn't happen that often in the men's cycling. You see it happen sometimes in women's cycling where you see a a lady start up and she progresses right through and then she's at the world tour but I don't often see it in the the men's cycling a guy come through so quick through the amateur ranks and then straight up into the world tour yeah I think there are a couple reasons for that Um, one was I was like I was at the top of my game as a runner I was actually like a very good tactician as a 1500 meter runner and I was like at, at an amateur level the 1500 isn't very tactical it's just one guy running away from you, everybody but at the most elite level tactics do come into play what sort of tactics well you have to you have to be able to draft so like, what is it what's three 
What's the 1500? So 1500 meters is like three and a half minutes, three roughly. Three and a half minutes, roughly. Okay. Um, and so I was, at, at that speed, you're running over 25K an hour, especially in the sprint. You're drafting. So you're drafting. Drafting is actually really important. And like, you have to be able to think on your feet. The tactics are, are much less intricate than a bike race, but there are tactics. And then, so I had some innate- when you th- Sorry, when you think back to those runners now, and the tactics you know now as a cyclist, are you thinking that some of the runners are dumb asses with the tactics they have? Big time. Yeah. But there are guys who are great tacticians as right. runners, and they're known as that. There's one guy that I, I, I actually have applied some of my, my running skills to cycling from, and the, his name's Nick Willis. I think I may even mentioned him to you at one point. Uh, he just, he came second at the Olympics. The guy who finished in front of him just recently tested positive for EPO. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, in 2008, he came second in the Olympics. And he used... The guy's a master at tacti- tactics. He's an amazing. What would he do? He he would always run like so. The track, for example, is me- measured actually seven centimeters outside uh, outside from the actual rail. Okay. So he would tr- he would literally run as close as he possibly could inside to that line on the rail, and he would tell me it always opens up, man. It always because there's a fear of if you're running on the rail. You're gonna get boxed in, yeah. just like in a, a sprint, for example, yeah. or like trying to move up in a group, like yesterday. It's on the left. Let's stay on the left. Let's stay on the yeah, left. Yeah, yeah. And it, it opened up. It's always going to open up. And that's what you always say to me. So, but like, you have to be cool as a fucking cucumber. Waiting until the last 50 meters. Yeah, yeah. Just waiting, waiting. And he does. He just wait, wait. And that's how the Olympics unfolded when he meddled. He just waited, waited. It opened up and he went. So it opens up because runners drift wide. They drift wide, yeah. And they when pan- they get tired or They whatever. get tired or they're panic- they panic and they try to move around. Huh. So if you can be the least panicked guy... But like, it's like so easy to say when you're not in that yeah, moment, yeah, yeah. when you're removed from it, you're like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. But when you're in that moment and like your heart rate's at 190, some and you feel good, you're like, oh, I can yeah. go around. Or maybe you're not feeling good and you're panicking. Yeah. Like you gotta be, like he said, he would say it always opens up and that, that, that applies to cycling for yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, so I had that experience and then I did so many sports as a kid, particularly hockey, which, um, really hockey does involve a ton of speed sense positioning skills being able to move particularly in the corners which i was really good at predicting where other people are going to go and moving around them i've always been pretty good at that and that's like one of the most important parts Mm -hmm. of being a cyclist in the peloton is uh, trying to predict where someone else is going to go and your position relative to them yeah so i Obviously, I'm, I'm okay at it now. I'm, I'm not bad at it now. But I was I, when I first started, I was absolutely terrible. But I was able to <laughs> like apply those, apply those skills, skills and, yeah. and learn from those skills a bit a bit faster than most guys coming in. Yeah, right. And then that's do you think that's what progressed you through those amateur ranks? Then yeah, like yeah. I, I was constantly trying to improve on what I was doing. I was so bad initially. <laughs> I mean, even my first year, talk to Clarky, talk to anybody on the team. I crashed so many times and was like making so many mistakes but um i've always been like i think that's the advantage coming in so late that like i wasn't the 20 when i was 20 or 19 i wasn't willing to take advice from other people and i thought i knew everything whereas now uh i realize i don't know anything and i'm completely comfortable with taking advice from somebody and so or at least listening to it and going you know what that's good or that's not good yeah 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 Yeah, right oh 
And then obviously now we've sort of fast forwarded pretty quickly, but then you made the jump, you came through some some teams, you rode with Rally as your last team before you stepped up, um, and it was from a good ride in California, was it? Uh, at uh, Tour of Utah. Tour of Utah. I knocked it out of the park there. Had a good one. And um, you, you got noticed then by Cannondale. Yeah. And then you jumped across. And just talk me through that that transition. Was it? Did it become a dream through starting to run those smaller teams? You started then to think like, you know what? I really want to be on a world tour team. Or it just sort of happened without you wanting it to be what it was. So I first got into cycling because I wanted to make the Olympics. That was like my only, okay, only reason why I got into cycling. I wanted to make the Olympics because I couldn't make it in running. Uh, but then as I progressed in cycling, I started realizing how big the world tour is and it became a dream. Certainly became a dream. Yeah. Okay. And then what was it like when you did get that contract? Oh, uh, dude, <laughs> it was amazing. Like, because when I was 25, 26, 27, when I was riding for these amateur teams, like my wife was amazing. She, she said, you know, she believed in me and she said, you're an incredible athlete. And, um, like I, I believe in you and like, if you need to quit your job, I'll help I'll also help support you. Like she, she's the yeah. one who said that. It, like, she, it, like when I, when I think about it now, like it's, it's beautiful. Um, she said that to me and, but he, despite that, I wasn't working that much or I'd be working crap jobs. And then when you're 25, 26, 27, mm-hmm. a lot of your friends are actually starting to land real jobs. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many period periods, like probably for year years in that period, in that period of time where I'd lie in bed at night, just like looking up the ceiling thing, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> like, this is like the dumbest thing. Like this could, like I could crash and hurt myself. I'm making no money right now. There's no future in this. Like this is incredible risk. Like, why am I doing this? Did it drive you more or did it make you was different on different days? Some days you were like, that's really going to drive me. And then other days you were like, you know what? Yeah. What am I doing? It was both. Yeah, for sure. And that's how it would have been for me. Yeah. And I didn't like, I'd, I'd fail because of it and I'd succeed because of it. Mm. Like the, the highs were crazy high and the lows were even lower. Yeah, because you're like, that. even, even then you're like, now what the hell am I? I can't even finish this race or whatever. Yeah. Like and then, but then you win the odd time you win a bike race and you're like, this was the best decision I've ever made. Yeah. Like this is going to happen all the time now, you know? Yeah. And then you have another, you have a crash, you break a collarbone, you have a bunch of setbacks. Like, uh, yeah. Like, so getting that contract kind of validated those three, four years of risk where, you know, I was, uh, yeah, just, and, and also I slept really well for the first time in a while. Mm. Well, okay. I want to come back and revisit you personally another time on the potty, but because this is the new segment, we've got to move on. Perfect. So I'm going to run through some questions with each of the guys and they're pretty simple. Maybe we'll add some more in. Um, how many Giro's is this for you? This is my second. Second Giro. Last year was your first Giro and first Grand Tour. Yeah. So in 12 months ago, you were like breaking ground. Yeah. And now you're just back and... I was supposed to do the Giro my first year. Charlie called me and told me I was doing the Giro. I was so jazzed. And then at Liege, best on Liege, I flipped over the last race before the Giro, <laughs> flipped over the bike, broke my fifth, third, and fourth, fifth, fourth, and third metacarpals. Then you were out. Then I was out. That was a hell of a year. You were telling me about that. We'll yeah. have to talk about that another time. Um, what do you like and what do you hate about the Giro? Let's start with what do you like? Um, there's a lot of things I really like about the Giro. Uh, the pace. 
there's a real pace to it. Uh, you mean the, everything about the race, or you mean inside the actual race? The inside the race, outside the race, like I, it was that wasn't the case in Israel. I know that, but I, I like the minute we've since we've landed, it's almost like things have slowed down. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I feel like the staff all of a sudden is a lot more comfortable. Yeah, it's a lot more relaxed. Um, the Italian, Even just the dinner, was the dinner. Nice, yeah. The Italians know the race, yeah, and so they're not crazy excited but they're also like excited like yeah. you know like it's not like we're like in your face we've got to take selfies right now yeah. it's like oh the race will be tomorrow we'll come by we'll watch we'll celebrate you you know like okay. it's not like and then and then the actual um pace of the the race there's a bit more structure to it you know you can often predict how it's going to unfold hmm. um and the history of it i really like the history of it yeah it's cool history what do you hate about it oh what i hate about it um well, there's not much to hate, but I mean, the fact that we're here in Sicily right now, I like, I like the, I like the country. I like this area. It's beautiful, but the roads are so crap. <laughs> and like, it's honestly, we saw them today in the ride, but if like in the, in the past stages that I did last year when we were in Sicily, it's dangerous, man. Yeah. I'm and not looking forward to that tomorrow. Dude, like you've got to be so much more. On, on it like, but there are a lot of punches like there's huge potholes today I was thinking yeah. if you hit them tomorrow definitely uh, punch them. I hit one last year and like I don't know how I kept it up like it was a miracle <laughs> Mohorich saw me and was like like I, I, we still talk about it today like how I kept it up <laughs> after hitting this pothole it was crazy <laughs> alright um, or what about the, what's the best thing about Italy what is the best thing about traveling around Italy for three weeks for you um, I think, I think just the, the, the sense of history, like we yeah. kind of talked about it earlier. I mean, I kind of mentioned it earlier. Um, but it's like, you're going through these crazy roads that don't exist in North America mm-hmm. or Australia. You know, we don't have that type of road network no. that they have here. And because of that, like there's so many times where I visit, like I've like when I'm like daydreaming in the Peloton of like, I think about like, you know, Romans coming down this road yeah. or like the, just the vistas. We'll be going along coast roads and you just look out over and you're like, this is a postcard. Yeah. It's nice. It is nice. Um, all right. And the last one, well, because it wasn't today, the race, one thing, and we were laughing about this the other day, I want to discuss what the pillow talk was from that day. So what was the Peloton talk yesterday for you? Because, and we'll explain this because it's going to be a little segment, is that each day in the Peloton, to the guys that you sort of know but don't really know that well, there's sort of like this surface conversation and we were discussing it and often during the year it's like, hey dude, hey mate, how are you? Yeah, good. But it's just a formality. Yeah, it's formality. And like a general conversation could be, what was your last race? And you'd be like, oh yeah. Catalonia. What's your next race? Yeah, what's your next race? And then, and then it might, if it goes further than that, you'd be like, yeah. If it's a tour, it might be something like, hard day yesterday. Like, yeah, phew, it's going to be hard today. You know, like it's real yeah. surface sort of stuff. And, and we I'll, talked about this too in the Peloton. The answers are just like, are, like are, are all dependent on the, the tone <laughs> of the deliverer. <laughs> yeah. Like if you're like, oh man, 
hard day yesterday. Like you're not going to be like, no man, it wasn't a hard day yesterday. You're like, yeah, you're right. It's so hard. Even if you thought it was easy. Yeah, that's true. You it's total bullshit. Yeah. But it's just cause like you're, it's just such a, it's cordial. Like it's like, you're just trying to be a nice guy. It's like, you're just trying to move on. If you don't like the guy or whatever, you're just trying to move that conversation on pretty quick. Yeah. So what was yesterday for you? Did you pick up what was the Peloton talk for you yesterday? We talked about it. Yeah. We mentioned it. Uh, it was the departure time of the flight. It was, yeah. The question was either, oh man, I'm so glad we're leaving tomorrow morning or fuck man, I wish we were leaving tonight. Yeah. And it, like you said that to me and no joke, I wrote up to another guy in the Peloton at one point and he was like, oh man, I can't believe we have to get up five in the morning tomorrow. <laughs> and you're like, ah. Here we ah. go, that's another one. Mitch was right. <coughs> All right, great. Well, we're here in Sicily. Tomorrow is the first solid day. Could be a good one for you tomorrow. Yeah, I want to do well. Great. Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me, man. Cheers.